passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live, everybody. Um... From Newark, New Jersey, John. Is that where we are? I think so. Yeah. I don't know where I am at this hour. I hope we are live. I mean, listen, we're, I'm, I'm Look, testing. Let me very, double. Yeah, very I'm going to double check you now. Well, I, I know, I know I, I'm good. I just want to make sure this, this lovely hotel's uh, internet is good. So if you're in the chat room, everybody, uh, let us know that you can hear us well and that you're watching us uh, stream live here. From Newark, New Jersey. It is... I don't know what time it is. It's almost two in the morning. We're going live. I'm on fumes at this point. I knew this would be a lengthy day. I, I am actually pretty energized right now. I'm okay. I am too. I'm fine. Actually, I'm honestly quite surprised. I I'm mean, not staying up to watch uh, the Grand Prix, Eddie. <laughs> like, you're out of your mind if you're doing that. I, I'm going to sleep the second we're done this. Oh, my God. The to, day, to sleep for like four hours, and then we got to go to the airport. The day started very, very early for John and I. Um, we, of course, had our five-year anniversary show today at QXT's nightclub. And that was today. <laughs> and that that name is drilled in my head. Like, okay. and it, I, I, you won't have to hear it from us uh, any <laughs> anymore. Everybody on Saturday, November nineteenth, <laughs> post wrestling turns five years old. That was uh, that was Ben Tramer, by the way. The music. Did you know? Oh, did you know? I I probably figured. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. I have a direct line to him now, and he gave me the licensing rights. Uh, tougher to deal with than Kansas, but. <laughs> We licensed out Ben Tramer. More expensive. Um, way more, more expensive, expensive. And a lot more like blood and guts negotiating that it took to get Ben Tramer to sign that track off to us. But okay. we did our best. Well, uh, this is going to be a long show. So let's let's Yeah, we're let's gonna get, get it. I, I want to spend a lot of time on Monday talking about the uh, the anniversary show. That is uh, yeah. uh, it, it was uh, it was truly a very, very special day. Yeah. So thank you, of course, again to, our, to Real Digital. We'll talk about more about it tomorrow. But we're here to talk about Full Gear. AEW Full Gear. Yes. Which um, we were seated differently. And by, I would say, the third to last match, I realized you were about eight rows ahead of me. I realized when I walked in, I saw you. Actually. I did not. Um, <laughs> actually, I, so I was in the media section. So I was with the, uh, the, the, the media crew. I was next to uh, Josh Nason. And I was in front of Brandon Thurston. Um, I ran into so many uh, just different media folks, so yeah. it was great to uh, see people that I hadn't seen in a long time. Mike Johnson, I haven't seen in a year. Really? Yep. It's yeah. honestly the best part about being at these places live. I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. I feel like we can. it's a lot less work and a lot less trouble to just do this right from home. You know, like we have to do a whole lot more to be able to like do one of these types of broadcasts or even to watch and take notes when yeah. we're live. But obviously... Um, the, you cannot kind of beat the live atmosphere for a show, and we'll try to focus on some of that today. But as well, like you know, meeting some of our colleagues, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, w I was really glad I went to the press conference afterwards. Um, we'll talk about that at the end. There was a lot of news on on this show, and uh, the Prudential Center was the home of Full Gear tonight. 
like packed, packed arena, and uh-huh. and we'll talk about it. Like there, there were definitely some lulls in yep. the show. It was a long show. Mm-hmm. It started at 7 p.m. Eastern time with the zero hour, and then concluded at what would you say just before midnight was they went off the. Air. I wasn't even looking at my watch, but it probably felt something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, again, we we were watching live, everybody. So like a lot of these gaps, like we might we might have missed out on. Um, let us know in the chat room. We're also going to be accepting super chats. We're not doing calls today. We just don't necessarily have the capability to do so. It's also really late, but we are going to take your super chats uh, throughout the broadcast. So let's get into it. We did not go to Rampage on on Friday night, um, and and I was definitely looking at. Uh, well, would they add Junakiyama to? Saturday night, and they did. So that was uh, the key part of Zero Hour. But we'll uh, we'll quickly go through it. This was their uh, fifth million dollar gate this year, following Double or Nothing, Forbidden Door, All Out, and Grand Slam. So passing that that mark, which is very impressive to hit five times in a year for mm-hmm. the company. And the first Zero Hour match, we had Orange Cassidy, the Best Friends, Rocky Romero, and Danhausen against the firm's QT Marshall, Nick Camaroto. Lee Johnson, factory, Aaron Solo, and Way's favorite, Cole Carter. Yeah, you said the firm, and, and, and they're actually the, the factory. The factory but give they, me a break at this time. <laughs> Would you like to look at this? This, this, Holy. Was, this was me. Look but at this. I could have gotten my laptop in. You could have? Really? On the thing, it said, any devices you bring, you will have to turn in and get at the end of the night. I'm like, I'm not handing my laptop over to anyone, of so course. I didn't bring it. But all, everyone else, media, I got their, their lab. I could have got okay. the laptop in, and I was kind of kicking myself. But beautiful handwriting, by the way, I have to say, dude, it's, it's all like, like very impressed. How many pages you oh, got handwritten? I was like, uh, dude, I drew a comment from a rich fan at one point. He's like, dude, you are like the no- most non-reactive person, <laughs> essentially. Of just we we had, we had quite the the section. Can I, mean, I was, can I just say like. Uh, so I ended up like sitting with Jordan Goodman, who got me my ticket, um, and then like there were just empty rows because I guess we were like um, there for like in the friends and family section, uh-huh. and a lot of empty rows. And then like out just came like everybody <laughs> that we knew. You guys all like, congregated. Braden Davy came in. Cino, Chris Leone, I believe Fire Frank was there, and then like uh, Benno and Stephanie Chase were there. And then um, I get the sense I'm probably like incredibly boring to watch wrestling with because like i'm on my own taking my notes Braden and davy are like going crazy they're the most fun people to ever watch like, dude i saw before. these guys i just saw two guys losing their minds for jamie Hayter's <laughs> entrance and then i realized i'm like that's davy and Braden. yeah of course they make every show like automatically more fun to, to to watch so i mean um apologies for the people that were directly around me but uh, hopefully no we could never do a contest of like oh, come come watch impossible. a show with us you would be bored to tears totally. uh with, with 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 everything was there a more popular person in the crowd though than mjf's mom um, i must no. have seen her take a hundred photos yeah you know and, and on a night like tonight where she might might have been tipped off she had the whole family with her in the section next to us like the right? whole crew was there she was very popular and she was uh she she was not shy about letting people know that she was mjf's mom she was incredibly proud tonight and taking photos with seemingly everybody in the in the arena including so. brandon davy <laughs> yes 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 so anyway uh op- opening match here we have uh first of all there was this light shining and the crowd just like could not possibly focus on anything yeah. but this light yeah. and then they turned the light off it was happy. really annoying you know like i mean i guess like they have these sort of crowd lights to kind of shoot towards i don't know to light the crowd and it was like in the direct line of sight with, with where the ring was and um this was a crowd that will let you know if they weren't happy with something and so we got plenty of chance of 
Turn the light off. Yes. Yes. And I can't see. Uh, Cole Carter did the uh, the spin over the top rope into a dive on the floor. QT uh, hit a cutter, stopping the orange punch. And then Danhausen appears, who had been they had teased like the fifth member, and everyone knew it would be Danhausen. He shows up, gets the pop, tags in, and then he just goes wild with like German suplexes all around. And then Danhausen uh, goes to pin Nick. Uh, this is after he puts the teeth in his mouth and takes him out and. Uh, gets gets the pinfall. 11 minutes, 18 seconds, and he has the spike here that they use on QT, and it's the uh, the five-way hug afterwards. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a bit more unusual for Danhausen, of course, like somebody who's usually the comic relief, um, getting the actual sort of, like, legitimate um, offense at the end of the match and actually scoring the pinfall as well, and uh, shot in the dark, John Cena informed me that they've been doing these sort of teasers on, on dark, um, almost teasing this more serious version of Danhausen. So I, I guess that's what we got tonight. Yeah, he had like the the hot tag. It was it was a big part of the match mm-hmm. at the end. So it, it was like fine for your opener. Then there was a promo with Renee Paquette with uh, Konosuke Takeshita, who has been officially signed by mm-hmm. AEW. Um, there was no audio in the arena, but essentially just, you know, he has arrived in AEW and he is an AEW contracted talent, which is a big deal for, you know, Takeshita. And now like not being on loan, that he will be somebody that is going to be a permanent member of the roster. So that means he's moving here, I would assume? Like I would think so. Like It sounds like he's going to be stationed here. Sounds like, I mean, no affiliation with DDT or, or, or still... I mean, it's interesting crossover. because they're they're clearly working with, with DDT and yet yeah. they're they're signing him. So hmm. I, I don't know. Like maybe there will be big shows that will be... It sounds like it will be much less of a, you know, we borrow him for this amount of months, then he goes back for a bunch of months. It's yeah. like he's going to be now AEW specific. Now you're going to actually be able to push this guy, put him in the storylines. And honestly, it really wasn't much of a su- surprise after you saw the incredible amount of buzz he generated with his first run here. Um, I would say quite unusual, you know, for a foreign talent to just come in and like really, really kind of light the entire scene up. Takeshi and Bandito could be extremely big pickups that we look at in, in a year. Um, if, if handled well, Brian Cage, along with Prince Nana, took on Ricky Starks. This was the semifinal of the World Title Eliminator Tournament. They moved the finals from tonight to Wednesday in Chicago against Ethan Page. So Starks is selling the the attack by Lance Archer, and he is working with a shirt on, and it's pretty much Brian. Cage just destroying him until Starks fights back, does the pose, and then we see uh, Ducks the Discus Lariat, there's a spear by Starks, and then uh, Cage misses, coming off the top, goes for the F5, that's turned into a Canadian Destroyer and Rochambeau by Ricky Starks to win the match in 9 minutes, 3 seconds. Ricky Starks takes on Ethan Page on Wednesday show in Chicago, and Ethan Page came out at the end, and this will set up the title challenger for Winter is Coming, and that's in Texas. I can see Ricky Starks winning this uh, against to face MJF in Texas. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously a very tough spot when you're the first major challenger. It's a TV match. It's mm-hmm. sort of your foregone conclusion, but I think you'll have a better way of thinking. It's certainly where they went in the main event that Starks makes the yeah. most logical sense to be the TV challenger. Yeah, yeah. Given, uh, you know, MJF's, um, I guess, renewed heel status, um, I think Starks makes a lot of sense. And, um I don't 
think he's at world champion level yet, but I think this is a type of match that could potentially get him closer there. And I think that's ultimately the Especially end. if he has the crowd in Texas behind him yeah. that, you know, hopefully it makes for a dynamic television performance. Yeah. Um, for just simply to have him have a good showing, you know, so that he's even in the conversation of being a potential world champion. And almost a month to build it up, too. Like, you can right. do some promos with him and, you know, get him right. It's not as though they're just throwing him out on a week's notice. It's You do have some time to build it so, so what was the thing that they were, that he wasn't cleared for? Like, do we know what, he just, what it was? It, Tony just said he was legitimately not cleared last week. For what? Uh, wait, you okay. can't clear, expect to clearly get much he more was than fine that today, either. so I guess it, it doesn't really matter. And he worked and he worked last night too with Lance right. Archer. So yeah, yeah. And then Eddie Kingston against Junakiyama. So there was like twenty minutes left in the pre-show, and I thought they were going to get the majority of it. They got ten, which um, I, th- I thought the match was great. I mean, yeah. they just had this incredible chop fest. And yeah, before the match, the in- uh, interview. That he did in the back. Did you catch? I didn't. I didn't catch. Oh the man! So he was. I believe it was Renee that was talking to him, and it was just Eddie Kingston. Um, you know, kind of telling the story. He was 18 when he first saw. Uh, I think it. He was saying either Jun Nakayama or, or All Japan Pro Wrestling, one of the two. And then from that point on, he just kind of like got silent, and he just got emotional, and he was near tears. He he said like he was stumbling over his words. He says like he was saying he couldn't focus because his mind's all over the place, and. You know, for somebody like Eddie Kingston, somebody who's usually so intensely um, spoken and controlled and full of words, um, him kind of like breaking like this was, to me, the best babyface promo he could have possibly cut. It was raw vulnerability so that... You know, uh, there's there might be a lot of people that like aren't familiar familiar with Junakiyama or like the the significance of this, but you watch something like this to Eddie Kingston, and immediately the story becomes not necessarily like Junakiyama wrestling. It's Eddie King. The story is Eddie Kingston getting to live out his dream, and you're getting to watch it right now. Um, and I thought this little like non promo promo completely conveyed that he's the most unique guy on their roster. He's one of the most yeah. unique people in he's wrestling. The, the There's most nobody re- the most real guy quite yeah. like Eddie Kingston. Yeah, uh, and ever. he wears his heart on his sleeve. And when he's like pissed off, you can feel it. When he's you know emotional, you can feel it. And you hundred percent felt it the moment he walked out here. So we see um, at one point just. Uh, Dumps Akiyama, uh, we, we get the suplexes coming out, and then an Urican for a two count, and Akiyama takes this Urican, dude, he just collapses down to the mat, it was tremendous, then blocks a follow-up Urican and hits the Exploder, follows with a Shining Wizard, uh, and then there's one final Urican by Eddie Kingston at the end down the stretch to win this after they just go through all their variations of different suplexes, yeah. the crowd was all into this, it was just... A 10-minute war of attrition and Eddie Kingston prevailing at the end. And this was just... I thought this was tremendous. This was like our first really great match on the show. It was excellent, yeah. Um, before the final hurricane, he like, you know, did a point up. Pointed up. And then we'll get into what he said afterwards. Too. Right. But to me, like, this match was very much Eddie Kingston's tribute to um, King's Road. You know, All Japan Pro Wrestling King's Road. Getting to wrestle against the fifth pillar. You know, doing that particular style. I think if you... Um, you know, or at least somewhat familiar, and I'm I'm by no means any any sort of expert, but um, I, I'd be very curious to talk to W H Park actually about you know a lot of what he noticed. But there was a lot of I think trademarks of the style, like the delayed selling off of the suplexes, you know, head drops if you want to call it that, um, blocking suplexes by simply holding still and muscling your weight down, you know, um, uh, shouting your opponent's name before delivering like a final strike here. It, it, it was um, I think his just like 
love letter to this 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 style of professional wrestling that is clearly his favorite and getting to you know wrestle against somebody who's who was originally of that class yeah and this you know you had you had 24 hours notice for this but you know in a way you you know as soon as they announced the tag match it it sort of i think there were a lot of people expecting that they that this was a possibility at least for at no point was it meant to be a draw you know they put it on the on the buy-in which is no but it still felt special by the time it happened it felt special but i'm just saying like i guess if you're tony khan you're not necessarily looking at using this match to try to attract pay-per-view buys you know it seems to be his philosophy with some of these sort of like japanese dream matches it's like kind of he kind of maybe has a as a has a feeling that they're not going to be TV draws, so he either puts them on Rampage or in this case for for the buy in. But I mean, if you if you're into this stuff, it this completely delivered in, in the ten minutes that it had. So he gets onto the mic, and they've got like ten minutes left until the pay per view starts. And he thanks the fans for coming, thanks Chunakiyama, thanks Kings Road, and rest in peace, Giant Baba, Ricky Dozan, Jumbo Saruta, Mitsuharu Masawa, and Antonio Inoki. And guys, order the goddamn pay per view. And then he says that Moxley's gonna kill MJF, and this crowd just booed it. Yeah. And that was your signal of like what. This, this was not going to be a 70-30 crowd, 50-50 yeah. crowd. This crowd was here to see MJF uh, win this title. Yep. And that was very evident early. And this confirmed it on the show of what that reaction was going to be. Like, this was MJF. P- people were here to see a major title change. Yeah. Stupid me thought like there was a chance it could have been 50-50. And I, it was more like 99-1. Dude, there were people know? in our section that were like angry at the reaction Moxley was getting. It was like... You know, this is I this mean, is theater, and he is playing the like the match was structured to that rea- those reactions. We we will get to the main event, but um, I don't know whose idea it was like because like Kingston ended up having like five minutes of like airtime, and he didn't go quite that long. But like they almost told him to like sell the pay per view. Oh, dude, he and should he be did, doing this every pay per view. He should be in every main event of every zero hour, and then he is he is not Dana and Joe Rogan. He's the yeah. two combined, totally. and just do the hard sell <laughs> by the goddamn pay per view. Yeah, like. Forget Excalibur. Excalibur is great, of course. But, I mean, give me Eddie Kingston trying to, like, you know, uh, tell me what the matches are coming up for, like, Rampage or or Dynamite. (laughs) Okay, okay. It's going too fast. It's going too fast. (laughs) We're going to have some title eliminators and then ROH title. How many fucking titles we got here? I hope they do. I mean, I don't want to see Eddie Kingston on a buy-in every single time. But, like, if he's going to, to, like, let him do this. This is great. I was like trying to watch my voice for the next door neighbor, and then I realized I am your next door neighbor. Yo, so yo, he's, fine. Fine. he's fine. He's fine. fine. Uh, then we go to the pay per view proper, and we open up with Jungle Boy against Luchasaurus steel cage match. Surprised at all they started with the cage match. I am. Yeah, I I, I think it's kind of unconventional, but um, he, jo- found, he found out uh, earlier in the week, and then told me he found out earlier today. It was confirmed. The John, first match. John Pollock on top of it during the uh, the uh, scrum, which we'll talk about later on as well. But um. Yeah, like Jordan, uh, I thought made a really good point. You know, one of the few good points I think Jordan Goodman makes. Um, but he, he said he said that like you know putting them up front gives them. Can I have a water? Yeah, of course. Yeah, gives gives the match I think some added importance because I'll say like going in the feud definitely cooled off for me, maybe for some other people as well. You put this though right up front, crowd's incredibly hot. They have this incredible like visual around them, and immediately like you're you're hooked in, in, into you know feeling like this was a serious match. Jungle Boy's had some some really strong like singles matches on on pay per views, but th- this was among them. 
I, oh, yeah. I thought that they just killed it here coming out yeah. of the gate. And they were following a hell of a match that people were just coming off of. Like, you had a 10-minute oh. buffer, and then boom, we're right. One thing you can't say about these pay-per-views, like, the WWE ones, man, it's like, that Crown Jewel pay-per-view was like three and a half, three forty 340, with however many matches it was, six matches. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is like, match is done, three minutes later, we're ready. The mat, the next match is starting. Like, yeah. it's just boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. They are not wasting any time on this show. So we start this off. And what I really liked about this is like Jungle Boy started this match like it was a fight. It was not like going for like tilt the whirls. It was like he is out like this is a blood feud. And it was a lot of aggression from him that you you could really see that was brought out in this program. Um, So early on, Jungle Boy bleeds and this dude bled. Very he significantly bled, yeah. uh, in this match. There's a Suzuki armbar on Luchasaurus in the ropes. And then Luchasaurus um, uh, does his finisher off the shoulders. And then Christian Cage is able to get the key, opens the door, and then he's re- removed by security. But this opens the door. And both men are able to escape the cage. And they go onto the ramp. And we get the the tribute to the Shawn Michaels Undertaker Hell in a Cell where Jungle Boy gets catapulted into the the steel cage off mm-hmm. the ramp. Yeah, in the press conference they were talking about um that was Luchasaurus's favorite match. Yeah, the and, bad blood match. And certainly you saw I think a lot of the trademarks from that particular match in this one including the uh, the blade job to the the blonde. So from there, um Luchasaurus brings out a table, he brings out chairs, so we get all the weapons. The parries were in the front row, which I imagine on the broadcast they were focused on a lot. Like you could we, see in the, in the screens, yeah. 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 And uh Jungle Boy then comes off of a chair into a Canadian destroyer, follows with a kill switch, gets the two count, and then Luchasaurus comes back, choke slams Jungle Boy onto a seated chair, and then a pile driver is delivered to Luchasaurus with Jungle Boy getting a near fall, and this is where they're just going nuts with the near falls. There's a tombstone. And then um, this is where uh, Luchasaurus hits the tombstone, then lifts him up, dropping him on his chest. And then Jungle Boy comes back with a chair shot, sending Luchasaurus onto the table. And then Jungle Boy ascends to the top of the cage. Brother. <laughs> and he goes up. This is Luchasaurus. You're going to bring it out of me, brother. And Jungle Boy comes off the top of the cage. The place went insane. Mm-hmm. This dude, the elbow drop, the speed he picked up. These cages that AEW, they're I'm not huge. saying they're like giant in comparison to other cages, but when I've seen people come off these cages in AEW, the amount of wind they pick, the speed that they pick up, it's a straight drop. Dude, yeah. it's just like boom. It's a free and ball. He yeah. just came so fast down with his elbow drop and then applies the snare trap. They peaked this perfectly. The crowd went nuts. Yeah. Luchasaurus taps out. Christian's been ejected. And the way this, like, Jungle Boy was very much, pretty much in character in his press conference. But you did get him pretty much saying, the Luchasaurus chapter is done. Mm-hmm. Christian is hurt. I'm definitely going to fight him. But now I'm on my own. So it seems like this part's done. And when Christian's ready, they'll go back to that. Yeah. So you have this. Now he's kind of out on his own. It sounded like they, they were kind of sick of waiting for Christian or like, you know, they, they, they know that this is the type of injury that, you know, will probably take too long for them to wait around for. So in the meantime. But clearly they want to do that big blow off and that's why yeah. they went with the all out direction. It's always going to be there. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't end the Luchasaurus portion for now uh, so that you can move Jungle Boy or sorry, Jack Perry. This, this leaves Luchasaurus in a tough spot. Like mm-hmm. I almost think like Christian, I wouldn't want to turn him back so quick, but the way this ending is, it's like it almost leads it to like Christian to turn on him for giving up like this in the cage match, letting him down. Potentially. Like, 
Unless, you know, he's... um, It'll be weird. Like, if Christian's on TV, but Jungle Boy's left from him, it's kind of this odd... Like, where do you go with Luchasaurus? I don't know if you you have to worry so much about, like, Luchasaurus. Just because, like... I mean, a big man, like, will always, you know... He'll always be able to find find his place. Whether it be in another faction with with another heel attached to him. Like, maybe that's the direction. You know, bring somebody else into the stable. But I think... I mean, the focus, obviously, is in Jungle Boy. And trying to get him launched into a singles program or a singles career um he had to get through the storyline and now let's see him challenge for you know a tnt championship or something else yeah i i thought this match was great it not, was great not the best match on the show but that's there there, there was some high uh but it was close high you quality know, this they, was this was um i put this number three for me on the show um i i would probably say the same as well or at least around that area but like for me like for a feud that i had kind of stopped caring about and i wasn't really looking forward to, to this match um, they took it to, I think, you know, a show highlight level and a very memorable level and a very satisfying conclusion um, to a long feud. So a great match to watch live. Match number two of the pay-per-view. Death Triangle against the Wayward Sons. The oh. Elite. Surprised at this placement. I, I asked people throughout the week or the weekend and it seemed to be either second from the top or opener. Those mm. seemed to be the two options and yeah. they went second. Um, not. I mean, the spot Chris Jericho says you never want to be in on a pay per view. I listen. Going from the Eddie Kingston match onwards, like this was an incredible hour of professional wrestling yeah. TV. Um, and I guess if you're going to have anything try to top the cage match right afterwards, it would be the return of the elite. In they could have put this anywhere. They could have put it anywhere. Yeah, they could have put it like. Now, you know, like they could have had us take a three hour break for a press conference and then like done the match and like, let's not get crazy. (laughs) So Death Triangle comes out, uh, Pentagon Sans shirt. Yeah. And Joker get up, but showing off that upper body. Well, good for him. And then the lights go out in the arena and we get the, uh, the, the, the TikTok and we get the, uh, the dialogue up on the screen and out to Kansas to carry on Wayward Son, the return of Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Don Callis, Michael Nakazawa. They all came out, and this crowd, they just ate them up. It was just a huge, huge reaction. And then the, 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 the encore was Fox CM Punk and Colt Cabana chants. Yes, lots of that. First of all, the the uh, the, the Kansas entrance, I mean, I mean, we had all, I think... It sounds like they might... Continue using. Yeah, we, we had all heard the reports of the trademarks. Um, and then I thought they weren't. They were abandoning them. But I, either way, it was an awesome entrance. Like, I think I think it's the type of song that, like, can be kind of corny. But, like... They're kind of corny. The elite are kind of corny. They've taken, like, kind of corny. And, like, look at, look at their facial hair, for crying out loud. Like, they've taken kind of corny and they've just owned it. Dude, Kenny was, like, and, singing to the song as he entered yeah. the ring. It's like, they... This has been many a shower tune for these three over it's, the last two months. It's a great party tune for a party atmosphere that AEW shows tend to be. Look at, like, look at the success of Judas, you know? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how much it costs. I'm, I'm imagining a pretty penny, but um, I hope they keep it. Have sure. you seen the new shirt they put out? No. They took like the AEW logo, and it's like with the A and the and the uh, W removed, so it's just the E. Okay, like like the image. It's the opposite of the image. Yeah, because the image, like in the teasers, was yeah. the E missing. The right. So now it's the E, 
That's cool. That thing's going to sell, like, incredible. Oh, excellent. So, I love it. I'm glad, glad to hear that they're, the Elite are going to have a merchandise oh, seller right around Christmas t-shirt. time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Good for them. Yeah. So, yeah, this was... Um, this was they like yeah they went right into the anti CM Punk chants and then uh, Cole Cabana was a m- more lighter but um yeah they were they were there at the beginning and then everyone just got into it the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers did this four way sequence and they got a standing ovation and from that point it was on this was just um uh, this was unbelievable to watch live yeah. and unbelievable to try and take notes I, for I wouldn't blame you if you missed dude I was movie. just like. Dude, the Saved by the Bell scene where it's like Mr. Testaverde is... Like the uh, smoke coming from your... Uh, yeah. It's not... Mis- I always say Mr. Testaverde and it's not Mr. Testaverde. It's Mr. It's the other teacher who's the speed reader and they're, and then Jesse Spano's like taking notes and there's smoke coming off the... Someone alert me to the name of this teacher. It was a one-off episode. But I that's that's what... Uh, that image always comes to me during an elite match is like that. that's me uh, trying to take notes here during Did you this. have a stopwatch? No stopwatch. In fact, I was, oh, I was more so just going... Uh, so, Wade brought his iPhone uh, cord down here, and it was broken. So, I yeah. lent you my cord, and then I forgot to get it back from you today. So, I was down to, like, 40% when I, at the start of the show, and then I was so – I put on low battery. I tried – I didn't tweet throughout the show. Like, I was trying to conserve energy. Yeah. I was down to, like, 12% at the press conference, cool. and then uh, – David Bixen's fan had a power supply and saved the day from coming through. Bix, yeah. David Bixen's fan, oh, a huge, lovely. a huge MVP. Wow, awesome! Thank you. So the uh, it continues. Omega wants to be in with Pac. We saw, dude, Matt Jackson, like Spike, Ray Phoenix, dude. He just came down vertically on his head onto the edge of the apron, just like insane. And then from there, the guys are on the floor. Nick Jackson climbs to the top rope with Penta, and he. Stands up Penta for a top rope Rana to the floor and they land it seamlessly. Nick is on his back and the camera catches him. You've never seen a dude with a bigger smile on his face than Nick who's just, he has landed the move. I don't know what he was thinking. I would have asked him if, if they had showed him uh, or if they had brought him out after. But he had just the biggest grin on his face that he had hit this. It was just – it's like they knew like we're cooking here with this this match. Yeah. And then we get the triple tombstone spot by the Death Triangle to the Elite several moments later. And then a, a black arrow combo into the Brutalizer on Omega – or sorry, Omega's the one making the save. And then Pac hands the hammer to Ray Phoenix. But it's not hammer time. Ray is, no, he's clinging to his morality. And he throws it away, turns around, boom, knee strike by Kenny, Tiger Driver 98 for a two count. And then they triple super kick Penta, and Ray Phoenix gets hit by the B trigger. Once again, Pac hands him the hammer as Kenny hoists him up for the one-winged angel. And Ray is trying to, fu- or sorry, uh, Ray is trying to fight it, and he nails him with the hammer. And the roll-up pins Kenny Omega Perfect. Like, just awesome ending. It's like, even, I was trying to, like, detect, like, if it was intentional, like, can I fight the one-winged angel? Like, this, can I try and stop this move? And in the, I can't, I can't do it. Boom. And it was even more impactful that it's Kenny that took the pin. I thought this was just, uh, this was my match of the night. I knew nothing was touching this. Uh, This was incredible. It was my match of the night as well, and I'm assuming a lot of other people's. Um... I don't know if I'd necessarily even put it together in my head that we were going to get 
a Lucha Brothers Young Bucks match because in my head I'm just like oh Elite Elite I pointed it out I told you it's like oh, the, the rivals like Omega Pack and then I guess it just like it didn't register to me like what it would look like in the ring until I actually saw them do it you know this is of course a legendary rivalry and I think doing it in trios like fashion completely renews it you know as as we'll get into um this was uh my reaction okay it's like one two three and then turn brandon thurston they're not doing the press conference (laughs) that was the first thing it's like the losers don't go to the press conference of course like i never thought of that at all and guess what they're gonna win the next one they're gonna gonna win like three more times and then that's the funny we'll we'll get into the follow-up on this but your thoughts on the match beyond what you man dude this match was like i think everything i love about the Young Bucks style and, you know, by extension, the Kenny Omega style. Um, unbelievable athleticism and precision and speed. That's like, I would I would deem superhuman. But beyond that, they add story into it. They add narrative into it. Um, and it just, The hammer was like... I love it, great yeah. Touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they picked the perfect spots, you know, to, to, to like... They, they teased, like, Phoenix's mental struggle wonderfully at the beginning. And then they, ha- they had to pick the perfect moment for him to finally give in. The one-winged angel. The, the move that nobody will kick out of. The move that they know they will, will absolutely lose, lose to. So good. And, and for him to do it in a perfect, beautiful spot. Like, it's, it's almost like they had thought about all of this leading up to this particular... Um, sorry, I, we we lost the camera here, but hopefully you guys can still still hear me. We might have lost the video, but um, anyway, let me let me just uh, switch. You handle that. So uh, an incredible match, and then later on in the night, they announced that it's going to be a best of seven series between Death Triangle and the Elite, with match number one being tonight and match number two happening this Wednesday on Dynamite in Chicago. So you are going to get rematches of this match uh, on November 23rd, which is this Wednesday, November 30th, the next week on Dynamite. Then winter is coming on December 14th, December 21st, December 28th. They will skip a week on January 4th. And then if they need a seventh match, it'll happen at the forum in Inglewood on January 11th. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. Like, they are promoting a best of seven series with cities. And it's like, I think they you've all but guaranteed they're going seven. And I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Yeah, I mean, I would hate to be in Los Angeles and them, you know, ending the series on a match six. So, I'm assuming. I feel they're not going to do that. Yeah. That would be my guess. <laughs> I'm assuming it's going to seven. But still, we're we're all here for it. What a fucking, like, treat. And I think this, to me, was a real case of Tony Khan, like, really reading the room very well. I don't know if there are many rivalries and matches you can announce a best of seven for and have people, like, you know, be be very happy. This is an exception. This is one of them. This is one you can do a best out of 100 for because there's just, every single one is just, like... To me, this is the reason why you had a trios championship. And we're going to instantly know what the return of the elite means for live event ticket sales. Yeah. Like this is totally. like you're giving them pretty much the best possible trios matches you can on the next, um, you know, the next six of your, you know, upcoming two months of dynamite. It's a headlining act that now you're touring to all of these major cities. Um, it Again, to me, the reason why you create the trios championship is so that you can have the elite you know, um, headline shows with them. You can have the Death Triangle, you know, headline shows with them. So I'm guessing is, I don't know if they explain, maybe they explained it on the broadcast and people can correct the championship, me. championship, you mean? Or is it on the line each match or is the winner of the best of seven the trio's champions? I did not hear it on the broadcast, so I, I, I don't know. But um, today it was 
the title was on the line, was it yeah, not? Yeah, it was. So you would think the title's on the line. This is like the Bellator Grand Prix, where it's the champion defends the title. I would, each... c- would kind of hate that. Like, just to, just because, like, by it, the you're going to get a like... lot. You're, you're going to get, like, at least three title changes, if not more. Yeah, I don't know if, like, you know, because the Death Triangle retained, they can kind of retroactively say, okay, if whoever wins seven. the entire series gets the championship. I would probably much prefer that. And I'm almost kind of looking at like these, you know, this graphic here, and you get to see. Okay, so Sheev McQueen in the chat room says, "Winner of the seven is the champ, according to Dave." Okay, all right. So, I I much prefer that way of of doing it, just so we don't kind of you know ruin the sort of like a uh, rain rain situation. But what what a match, you know, what a first match in a series of seven. Um, how are they going to make this unique every single time? How are they going to like pull different tricks in different spots? You know, for seven different matches, that's a very tall task. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, also, it's like th- there's going to be the natural speculation too of January 4th, primarily just the question about like Kenny Omega. Um, hmm. That would be, you know, the you know Tony was asked about it tonight at the press conference and said that you know the, he is trying to make accommodations for New Japan. Rocky Romero was here. Um, they've had discussions, but the big stars he needs back here. But I mean, I look at that January 4th, and I would say. Will Ospreay, to me, it's either Moxley or Kenny Omega. And I think Ospreay and Omega would be the biggest match that New Japan could get that would, to me, put the Tokyo Dome show over the top beyond Jay White and Okada, which I think really needs that number two match. And to me, there's nothing bigger you could do than Ospreay and Omega for for that number two match on the show. This probably increases speculation. Yeah, I I think it will. It's... um, you can get by a Seattle show without Kenny Omega. I mean, it's it's a show that you can you have the depth that you can put together a kick-ass show on a Wednesday when you've got your Danielsons and a, a Darby in Seattle. That and you know it. Um, you certainly have the depth that you can you can make do for one week. I have a strong feeling by the end of the seven matches, the elite will probably end with the championships. You know, just so that you, you get to more dream matches with them and and, and other trios. Um, but in that time. The hope is for the Death Triangle to just really, really, you know, be elevated into this sort of legendary trio, if not like, you know, individually, all three of those guys elevating their rank that much more, mm-hmm. you know, um, certainly they already got partway there tonight. Do you expect a similar reaction for the Elite Wednesday when they return to Chicago? Yes, I do. Uh, do you mean, do I expect the Fuxium Punk chance? I guess... That one's a lot tougher to to say. You know, punk means so much to that city, and I don't know. I, to, I don't expect that. I don't expect that. But either. I do expect like an overwhelmingly positive response for the elite. Yeah, I do. And, I do. and to be quite honest, for even like the anti-punk sentiment, if CM Punk's music hit at any show, of course, it would be a loving. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a sort of like I don't know trendy thing to chant to you know let people know that you're in on the news. You know that you're you're in on the inside and and. Once that dies down, I I mean... A question I wanted to ask is, the you know, was, like, being the elite as well? Like, does that come back? Yeah, Brandon Cutler was there, so you would assume so. Yeah, yeah. like, it's been idle since so, September. So you asked at the press conference about their responsibilities, and... It, Tony back. Khan indicated, like, they're it's the same EVP roles and backstage duties as before. Like, they haven't been, like, nothing's changed on, on that front. So right. they're coming back, like, in the same capacity they were before the investigation. Jade Cargill against Nyla Rose was next for the TBS title. Uh, a tough spot, I would say, on the card coming off of that match. Very. But yeah. that's 
that's the game though on these pay-per-views mm-hmm. is that you're going to have to be following big stuff like that's just part of being on these pay-per-views so uh jay cargo came out in a like thundercats outfit yes and were you uh, a Thunder, thundercats fan did you i did not i was like no, he-man not thundercats no um so nyla rose came out in a lowrider and vicky had did you was it uh, I'm your mommy shirt? Was that I, what she was I wearing? See. I couldn't see the full thing, but that's what it looked like, which well, is makes sense. Yeah. But that's the same shirt they just released for Rhea. Ripley. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean it was it was a an Eddie phrase, an Eddie T shirt, so Yeah, it's just interesting that you They're both playing off of Eddie, you know, both stories. Well they are, it's just like and again, I didn't see the full shirt, but it's like you're seeing the same shirt on yeah. both shows. It's it's odd. And I think the many people would defer to uh, Vicky. Of course. I mean, I think the amount of royalties that are owed, uh, you know, the Eddie Guerrero estate off of uh, every, every person who does that little shimmy, you know, it, I mean, he'd, he'd be even more rich, I'm sure. Uh, Marina Shafir was also out in the corner, as were the baddies, and we see Nyla um, sent over the rail, um, then hit a knee drop off the top, and Jade fights back. Uh, Nyla stops uh, Jaded, and Nyla hits her own version of Jaded, which Jade Cargill kicks out of. And then Nyla misses a senton and is nailed with the pump kick. And then the big spot, Cargill gets her up for Jaded, wins the match, and gets her titled back after all this time. Tony Schiavone's creation, this idea of... Nyla Rose stealing the title. This was uh, this was a Tony Schiavone pitch. This oh, idea right? was, was his. Um, so. Not my favorite. I mean, you know, but uh, evidently a lot of people seem to enjoy it. Um, I was not one of them. Um, I thought the match was passable, but um, this was certainly the death spot of the entire night. Coming off of you know the last three matches, really difficult. I think for any match to try to you know not seem like it was less than in comparison. But I did feel like this was probably the weakest match on the show and um it's not necessarily a surprise when you're just kind of looking at experience and what is put on jade cargill every single one of these pay-per-views to try to like match the quality of people that have been in in this industry for decades it's a lot to ask of, of of this person who's so new to it um i felt the match was passable but you put her in a spot like this her her weaknesses are going to show i thought it was a little at times sloppy at no point would I say the match felt compelling, at least to the standard that I felt on this pay-per-view, that I felt was pay-per-view worthy, um, but passable. I think it's tough to watching Jade in like the underdog role in a match, the way she's presented. I- I'm with you. I think this would probably be your, your weakest match on the show. It just was... Um, you know, the, the crowd is the crowd. Like, they had their matches where they came down in. But that's, again, like, that is, you have to be able to overcome that. Because that's, you're going to follow big stuff on these shows. And, and I totally understand, like, you know, in order for Jade Cargill to get better, she has to be into, uh, put into high-pressure situations. It's tricky. It's not, it's, it's like this easy answer. Yeah. But, man, I just feel like the golf is still so big. And I, I do wonder if, like, these sort of 10-minute matches are the best types of showcase for her in a sea of just, like like five star six star matches you know like i and i don't necessarily know what the solution is you put the tbs title on her she's going to have to kind of like you know swim with the sharks and sometimes she you know uh she treads but yeah i and i thought the build-up was like 
you know, it was it was it was fine. Like I thought, I thought Nyla did like a decent job in the build up to this. Like you, you had a, a story. It wasn't the most compelling one going into the pay per view, but it was like it was it was something, and I was like interested to see how this would work because like Nyla, like we we've seen her in like some very good matches with other performers as well, and you know, and, and Jade, like we know what her strengths are, but it does come with the weaknesses on top of it. Next was the four-way for the ROH title with Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Sammy Guevara. And the crowd was just uh, vociferous here. Fuck you, Sammy. And then a huge suicide dive by Brian Danielson right out of the gate. And we see uh, Brian and Claudio working together. And then they're delivering tandem European uppercuts to Jericho and Sammy Guevara. And then they shake hands. And then we get the battle of the Blackpool Combat Club as they the crowd wanted to see them go at it and they did not disappoint but then they got back together double half crab on Jericho Sammy breaks it up and we see just these vicious forearms from Danielson as he fights off Jericho and Guevara and then lays in the kicks like his offense just looked fantastic here and Guevara's back in one man Spanish fly onto Danielson and then Jericho lands a lion salt onto both Danielson and Guevara with Danielson kicking out Castagnoli then spins off into a code breaker and Jericho goes to the pin. Guevara pulls Jericho off and the crowd sees the, uh, the descent here between the, uh, the, the two teammates here in the JAS and Jericho is just looking at him and then they get into a shoving match. And then he applies the walls onto Guevara. Danielson comes off with a missile dropkick. He gets caught into the walls. And then it's Castagnoli in to break that up. Sharpshooter on Jericho as Danielson puts on the label lock. And we see uh, Guevara make the save. And then him and Jericho go back and hug. And with that, Guevara nails him. GTH and the Shooting Star Press. And this crowd, they were like, Sammy Guevara is going to win the ROH title. To me, it was like, this might have been the most predictable outcome at least one of them on mm. the on the show was like jericho retaining maybe your outside chance they put it on claudio into a rematch but it seemed pretty solid and when they got the near falls with guevara and with uh claudio and with danielson danielson they got some big ones too like that's hats off to them that yeah. they got to this point and then this match was like really going at this point some really creative stuff that they had here so after the, the Jericho Guevara stuff, which the crowd ate up, we have Danielson no selling the down the ham the handful yeah, 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 anvil and hammer, hammer elbows yeah. from Guevara, which yeah. just looked like Miz like in their delivery. This dude I don't think Danielson wants to see him box. What's the what see him box? I think he'd love to see him box. <laughs> I almost want I almost thought that should be a Guevara catchphrase. Yo, newer, who wants, who wants to, see to see me box? <laughs> So Danielson just steps up, no sells it, and then he delivers elbows. From there, we get this crazy military press by Claudio, sending Guevara just at warp speed at Jericho on the floor. Mm. Just, it just looked brutal. Uh, from there, there's the Claudio turns around, Busaiku knee by Danielson, and we get an unbelievable near fall where people thought Danielson was going to pin Claudio. And then it's uh, Claudio who catches Danielson on the floor. Neutralizer. Guevara hits a shooting star to the floor onto Castagnoli. And then it's Claudio with the swing on Guevara. And as he's delivering the swing, Jericho goes to deliver the Judas effect to Claudio. And it's a bit off. So he hit one for good measure and pinned Claudio. Imagine like sticking a pen into a moving fan. 
You know, that's what he was trying to do with the Judas effect. And and I you can absolutely forgive him for like slightly bad time. I thought it was fine. It was like, very he, ambitious. And he just know? went he just like nailed a second one and it was like a creative like I thought this was a very like in terms of just creativity, like this yeah. and the, the trios match, like there was some extreme thought put into this and um this was my number two match of the night, but on many shows this would have been a clear cut number one. I, I thought huh. this I thought this was a really great I'm match. I'm kind of looking back, and I'm actually having a tough time. Like, you know, I, number one, I think, is pretty clear. But, like, number two and three, I think, are a bit more of a toss-up. This was my number um, two, for sure. This was certainly up there. Um, I am totally in agreement with you. I thought in terms of creativity, in terms of execution, it was an excellent match, you know. Uh, this was another match where I think going in, I was not looking forward to it that much because we know Final Battle is likely where you'll get the real defense from Jericho and he's unlikely to lose this. I would have been happier to see, you know, Jericho and Danielson certainly, you know, in singles matches. So, And, and to me, like, multi-man matches tend to, like, you know, con- they, they just kind of, like, um, water down, you know, the, the, the heat of the feud. But when they got to the match, they did such a great job of building in chapters, into the body of this match to make a very clear narrative. You know, you start off with the good guys, the the uh, B, B, BCC teaming up. Then we get, you know, um, Brian versus Claudio. And then the JAS team up. And then we get Sammy versus Jericho in a way that I thought was very organically built to. Uh, it made for some wonderful interactions here. And I thought they really built some very great sequences to near falls. And... Uh, Great variety, really, throughout the match. Like, especially with Sammy Guevara's role in there. You know, he's of a different everyone style. Had a sp- everyone had their role in the match. Like, it, it was a tag team match, but it wasn't a tag team match. Yeah. And you went through all of that. Like, it descended into, like, the teammates against one another because they're all going for this title. Yeah. To me, up the prestige of the ROH title that you had these... Everyone going for this belt, and uh, like I, I thought, this was a really excellent match. At, at no point did it feel too busy. Like you got, you understood every person's like motivation and unique sort of like identity in the match. And and to me, that's sort of the hallmark of a great multi man match. So this was a great a great four way. Doctor Britt Baker and Soraya followed that, and uh, I was very interested coming off of Wednesday of how. The crowd w- would take to this match, and would this be Paige or Soraya, uh, you know, the, the sympathetic comeback story, or was this going to be Soraya is the outside? Exactly. So we, we should talk about this, because coming off the promo, I think at least some people speculated, are they doing a double turn? You know, is Britt going to, like, you know, be full-on babyface here, and are they somehow going to tr- turn the person coming back from a five-year neck injury into a heel? Uh, the video package that they aired right before the match and on the buy-in told you clearly what the story should have been from the get-go. Was any of Britt's promo in there? None. Absolutely That's not. very telling. Yeah, they cut the whole thing out. and the whole, Instead, everything else was Soraya talking about how this was the most... Like, her coming back, you know, this is like a miracle. Like, and like it, realistically, that promo shouldn't have been... As great as that promo was, it yeah, made no... It did not help this program. And I think it almost left the crowd... Like, they went down for this. It hurt the match. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Baker stops a baseball slide from Soraya and immediately goes to elbows to the neck. And we're getting the story of her. She's going after the neck. And I was just, like, swinging neckbreaker to the floor. It's like all of her offense is built around the neck. And it was just... You would think it's this emotional. It's it's Sean's back. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have that audience that was 
sympathetic to her. Not sympathetic. Not you know. It was cons- a pro Brit Baker. I mean, I they, don't even they, know if it was that. Pro- it was almost like a nullified response. Like it wasn't overwhelmingly positive Brit, it, but it wasn't negative Soraya. It almost felt like it canceled each other out, and we just got like an indifference. So I believe it, if it wasn't Soraya's you know comeback match, if 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 it wasn't like the real life circumstances surrounding Soraya and if it was just the story we got heading and the promos we got heading into the the, the pay-per-view, I, I feel like it would have been a full Britt Baker crowd. But because I think the real life attachment people have to Soraya's story was so overwhelming as well, there were a lot more people just kind of, you know, pulling her, uh, pulling towards her side. But in the end, what you kind of got was just this muted reaction whenever, you know, Soraya was just... Soraya needed the big promo this week. Yeah, absolutely. not Baker, yeah. and maybe in front of a crowd. And you know, she acknowledged like she's been rusty on promos since she's come back. She she credited like like Brit has carried this program, mm. but I I do feel that promo on Wednesday was very counterproductive to the story, yeah. and I I can't call it a great promo when it's going against it's kind of what like I think it ultimately all we can judge is the end product, and yeah. the end product was a crowd that felt you know detached. But it's too bad because like. Clearly, I haven't seen the road to, but clearly, like from seeing the clip in the video package, you like they nailed the story on the road to. So why not just like do that from the beginning? So into the mat, it, like she's going after the neck. Oh, like it's a big focus here, jumping stomp onto it, and just not a lot of heat here. And then there, uh, Soraya came back with like this awkward like sunset bomb off of the turnbuckle and. There is a dragon suplex tease by Soraya, which is turned into the lockjaw setup, but she can't get it on as uh, Soraya fights her off. And then there's a swinging neckbreaker by Britt and another stomp for a two count. And it's Soraya making her comeback. She hits the rampage, which I don't know if they've officially given a new name to yet. And then hits a follow-up rampage to pin Britt Baker. And the crowd... <laughs> It was fun. Like when the match was over, that's when like the crowd, like they got re- like they were all applauding. It's like, where were you for the whole match? I actually thought the ending was kind of flat, you know, like for, for this I, was the post match to me, the post match. Yes. But like when the one, two, three came, I don't know if like people had just forgotten what it like, was delayed, but it was like as she was getting emotional in the ring, like you could see definitely then, yes. it was like the audience felt like that sympathy, yeah. but it was like it was gone during the match. And I've, I've got to say, I thought this disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Certainly the emotion on her face, you know, like her near tears, like that's when I think you, you could absolutely see the real weight of the of, of how... It was a real moment to everybody. Again, how incredible this entire journey has been for her. Five years away, everything she's gone through in her personal life, you know, like thinking she'd never be able to wrestle again. I mean, I'm sure at some points, like, you know, even, even thinking she'd have any sort of like, you know, career in the public spotlight again into this moment, it should have been that much bigger. And um, the match was not great either. And she admits this on the in the uh, in the press conference. She says she was rusty. Um, you she know, tweeted that out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You you could see like in comparison to maybe somebody as seasoned as a Britt Baker, who's like you know almost at the very top right now. She did look a little bit slower, but she had five years off and like a neck surgery. Right? I, I so, think you give a ton of leeway on ton. that. Like th- th- this was in the grand scheme of the. Uh, the Soraya, the the Soraya Bevis story. This was a very positive night for her. That Definitely. you have to look in the big picture Definitely. of. She did not look as though she doesn't belong. It was yeah. just. It's her first match back in five years, yeah. and it's. And, and I and I think the the build did affect it. It's, well, I was gonna say I'll say the match I felt was actually good enough. I think to be able to carry a much bigger reaction if 
if the crowd was on her side, if if the story was there. I feel like this was a good That's the frustrating match. part. The story could have been... Like, could have elevated. This is a great story. This is a great comeback story you have. And yeah. I think it was almost overthought and um, just... It's, it was a slam dunk story, too. And, like, I understand there was, like, some real, like, weirdness with the timeline of when she'd be available. Like, I know Tony probably wanted to introduce her all out without She's only cleared three weeks ago. Yeah, so... It's so still, it's like the majority of this is, like, it's so, not an official clearance till October 31st. And, and that's probably, like, did Tony jump the gun in announcing her? Or do you, you know, take the take the attention that you have with introducing her all out? But I, I think less would have been more for this build. In, in looking in hindsight, like she debuted at Grand Slam, so that's what September twenty third. I thought it was all out. No, she was at Grand Slam. That's where. Oh, she that showed was her up. debut. Oh, okay, but that was two months ago. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I do think maybe like there was just a bit too much of. Yeah, you, you you can look at it a million different ways, but it was like in the end, I, I thought it was like disappointing. But at the same time, it's you know it was her first match back in in five years, and I, you're you're going to have that adjustment period. For I sure. really hope like they they have a better understanding of like her story. I hope she has a better understanding of like the character that I think works in AEW. Like she cut a good promo two weeks ago, but there were p- parts of that promo that I think were. Un- unnecessarily anti-AEW without necessarily like without her even realizing it so I hope they address those elements Wardlow Samoa Joe and powerhouse Hobbs for the TNT title Hobbs certainly had his pocket of like supporters in this he's crowd he's from the like, area I believe right he's from Oakland he's from the oh, Bay he's area not? Oh, okay. I think so uh, you, you can double like I believe that's uh, where he's always been based uh, if I'm not mistaken uh, okay California well yeah. he's born in California yeah so. That's what I thought. So, um, no, but he, he's gaining, like, some popularity, um, I can really sense. Uh, Wardlow here uh, breaks it. First of all, uh, like, Wardlow just nails Hobbs, and then he goes after Joe at the beginning. Some of the highlights included Wardlow hitting a whisper in the wind onto both of them, and then a swanton on Hobbs. Uh, Wardlow then speared Joe, and Hobbs hits the spine buster on Wardlow for a two count. Crowd w- was tired, but they were, they were working hard here. Um, then we see... Uh, from there, it's uh, Wardlow who hits uh, a series of strikes, and then finally, uh, after some counters with Hobbs, power bombs him and follows up with two additional power bombs. When Samoa Joe, who's been out on the floor, returns with the TV title and nails Wardlow with the belt, and that knocks out Wardlow. Hobbs is out from the three power bombs, and Joe snatches on the Coquina clutch to Hobbs. And Joe wins the TNT title to become a double champion. So Wardlow loses without being submitted. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking this is probably a Joe and Wardlow at final battle. I'm thinking too. Now, um, where Wardlow has to put something up. It's like Joe's going to put up two belts or one belt or I don't know. What, is he what does up? Wardlow have to put up? His hair, you know. Um, I, I, uh, his name, maybe. Wardlow? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to go by your given name. It's <laughs> not Wardlow. Well, like, are they are they going to keep the belts together now? Like, how, how do you... I imagine they're going to be two separate belts. I don't see them merging them. Okay. Yeah. I, I just think they they want these ROH titles. I don't see them, like... You know, he put them both on his shoulder. Like, I, I do not see them unifying I the don't titles. see a point in necessarily having to split them right now, though, when you don't have an ROH TV deal. Sure. Like, consolidating them for an extended period of time, I don't think would be the worst. This idea. is a this is a nice compromise. Just put two belts on a guy and hopefully yeah. strengthen them. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, yeah, I like the match. I mean, especially live, you know, like seeing, all, like, you know, three big meaty men slapping meat live is... Uh, Which there was such, a chant in our area of, of that. Uh, of course, yeah. yes. It, it, it feels different when you're watching live. A lot of great high-impact moves. Um, I'm not going to say this was all that memorable by the end of the night, but I, it was satisfying seeing something different. Live. And 10 minutes, like, they didn't yeah. overstay their welcome. And I think, like, there were... There were Moments here, like the, the audience was into, and I think some surprise of Wardlow losing the, the title at the end, which was, you know, an outcome that was possible. Tony Schiavone is with Chris Jericho, and he says that him and Sammy Guevara, it's competitiveness, and Guevara is a future champion, just not tonight. So it seems like, you know, they did this for the match, and maybe it's something you revisit down the road, but we're mm-hmm. going back to we're all together. They're not teasing anything further, or at least not uh, outwardly. So, uh, Orange Cassidy and Danhausen enter, and Cassidy has somebody to take on Jericho, his good pal Tomohiro Ishii. And Jericho says, Ishii, everyone talks about this guy as a great wrestler. I remember him being a young boy in war where he'd go get me coffee. And then he says that he will be Ishii's senpai on Wednesday, and then steals right from Asuka. Baka. Oh, Baka. Baka. Baka is the word of, of uh, professional wrestling. Baka and Michin. You know, the uh, the Asian words I think we, we'll all learn. It. Um, I hope they have some of that footage, you know, of like Ishii as a young boy. In some war, war footage? Maybe yeah. they could contact Tenru and see what, what he's got on uh, on Betamax. They'll have some photos at least of just like of him with hair and, and, and everything. Um, I did not know that they spent time in, in war. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did not realize that they had that connection. And um, to think about Ishii as, like, somehow younger than Chris Jericho is, um, I don't know. Like, I find that hard Ishii to Ishii the young believe. boy, yes. Coming. Yeah. And, and then they also set up Cassidy and Jake Hager for Wednesday as well for the All-Atlantic I also title. love how, like, Orange Cassidy is somehow the spokesperson of Tomohiro Ishii. Like, you could you can't find more polar opposite personality. He's got all his pals. Shibata, like, Ishii. Are they hanging out at... Um, like a Waffle House or, or a Cracker Barrel afterwards? Uh, possible. You know, after we had our, our uh, power slap discussion of, like, who could be a crossover, I got I got people like, Orange Cassidy was the obvious choice to be on. Power slap? On power slap. Because like, well, he wouldn't flinch? No, because he'd probably be the least menacing slapper. He could do oh. the, the fake slap. Oh, got okay. it. It's late. Oh, it's late. Okay. Let's I'm keep sorry, going. Um yeah, so that's also coming up on Wednesday, along with the continuation of the best of seven. So it's looking like a pretty, pretty solid yeah, uh, dynamite like on Wednesday night. And then it was New Jack time. Sting and Darby Allen against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Sting is to me just he's on his island on these pay-per-views. You put him anywhere, crowd's gonna love it. All you want to say about Jeff Jarrett. He was hated by this crowd. He came into a great reaction. Yep. Dude looked in phenomenal shape yes, he as did. well. And yep. man, did he put some time into the tanning bed too. Because he was well, like, dude, oh, this guy's ready for a run. Okay. I don't think this is a short-term he's thing. He's been he, shining in some global dude, force gold. Oh, my goodness. Uh, gold, gold, in fact, uh, it was. So this is our tag match. And Jarrett comes out with like these fake stings with like pretty much a putty patrol of stings. Yeah. Anytime I think there's a fake sting now, you can expect the fake sting to unmax to, to be the real sting. I was worried for like Scrump to be one of these, but uh, oh, it was yeah. not. And then they went to go find Sting, and then uh, Darby murders them on the ramp and hits Lethal with a code red. And then Sting appears in the ring, and it's mayhem. This is our brawl all over the arena match. And Darby, dude, Sting has been a great 
um, he really completes the Darby package. But if yeah. there is a <laughs> unique combo that I didn't know I wanted to see more of, it's Darby and Sutton Singh. This was the match where I maybe it was the purple pants, maybe it was just his use in this match. This match won me over with Sutton Singh. Okay, yeah. this man has a position. Okay, and this was it. Big dude to catch little guy and do crazy shit with. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Like, Satnam Singh, I think that, you know, he's... I, I've certainly come around on I don't, this guy. I don't know if I ever want to see him in a real match. But, like, him, like, on the outside catching these dudes, yeah. I cool. kind of want to see Sting or Darby take on Satnam Singh <laughs> at, a, at a point. Like, it would be... I can't tell you it would be <laughs> glorious, but it would be something. I would absolutely be sitting down to watch this. So, there is a ladder set up on the ramp... And Darby climbs up. Jared is down on the floor by the staging area. They, they made it no DQ and no countout like then, right? I don't. No, I like, assume so because that was a big uh, point of discussion I heard yeah. from people. Is this was never billed on television as no holds barred? We're just going to no assume DQ. every Sting pay per view match is a no DQ. I think that's what I said. I said match. I said to someone, I'm like, it's it's New Jack rules yeah. with Sting yeah. from this moment on, and so. Darby climbs up, coffin drop off the ladder to the floor, and he's caught by Sutton, who puts him up like a razor's edge and then spins him onto the stage after carrying him. It was a beautiful catch in the outfield and a beautiful toss back to home plate. That's, uh, he's one in a billion. That's it. That's it. Yeah, the other guy. Yeah. Sting did a balcony dive, which I had my head in my notes and missed the balcony dive, but it, it happened. You missed it. I, I, I caught the replay, but oh, uh, it it's a joy to see live. Let me tell you, this like, guy just—I wow. uh, mean, he had uh, Lethal and Sing to, to catch. Dude, Sutton Singh was all over this arena, like he was getting his Fitbit steps up. And then we get the Scorpion Deathlock applied to Jarrett when Sting comes and choke slams Sting. Sutton chokes him. Sorry, Sutton Singh um, choke slams Sting. Yeah, brutal. Sting choke slams Sting. Yeah, say that ten times. It was a brutal choke slam. Like we all gasped in our section. You know, like at, at the sixty-something-year-old man getting choke slam like that. Uh, Darby uh, Jarrett's got the guitar, and he almost hits his. He almost hits Lethal, but he stops. And then Darby comes off for a coffin drop. Wham! With the guitar by Jarrett, the guitar just goes into a million pieces, and then. Pieces threw me. So Jay Lethal goes for the lethal injection. And then was Sting trying to catch him with yes. a choke? No, he was trying to catch him in what I believe was a Scorpion death, death drop. drop. Okay. Yeah, and it uh, got kind of messed up. He like he knocked into Sting and Sting just took a tumble. And with that, Darby just hit the coffin drop and pinned lethal. Like yeah. they just they didn't do any reset. It was just went to the finish. And then you're kind of worried when Sting just goes down like that. Um, but got up and appeared to be okay. But it was like some some trouble at the end with this elaborate you know an incredibly ambitious move and i would assume that like they had tried enough in practice and got it enough to a point that you could do it but man live it's tv a tough always... trajectory on uh, the lethal oh. injection into like you know pretty much a back bump yeah like i mean but it had to be spectacular enough to be a finish right they tried an unfortunate blemish by the end but to me it does not at all take it away was probably from... going like death drop co- coffin drop maybe like maybe. man that's but ambitious but, but like i i had I can't have many complaints this about was this match. It ton was of fun. so entertaining. And I, I just continue to be amazed at how much, how worthy of a spot this Sting, Darby Allen sort of like pairing has on these pay-per-views that are already so loaded. Again, variety is the key for me. And this guy, seeing a, a 60-something-year-old man jump off, off, jump off of a tall thing will never, ever get old. Um, it was spectacular. And I thought Lethal and 
Jared especially played wonderful bad guys for your favorite, you know, good guys to beat up. I I enjoyed this match a lot. I think everyone played their role great. I did catch a clip of the road to and dude, Sanjay Dutt cut this unbelievable promo. I mean, by the end of it, I mean it was like the Britt Baker thing. It was like like he's talking about like doing this for like his late father and Sanjay Sanjay really, but he's doing it with like the screaming voice too that I okay. know you're not the biggest fan of, but it was it was a hell of a promo um, that that was on the road to by Sanjay. Like everyone played their role in this great, mm-hmm. and again, it's like. This is its own thing. You can put this anywhere. And it's going to yeah. work. And it does. Every time. We're coming up on two years of Sting in AEW. Yeah. I mean, this is the most optimistic. Nate Milton couldn't have forecasted this no. level of a Sting run have, in this company. We haven't had one of these, though, in a while, right? These sort of Sting Grand Slam runner. was the last Sting match. When he did a dive? like when he Oh, did, did, did he do a dive in that remember. match? I'm... But they feel infrequent enough now that they still feel special to me. You know, and I think that's the key. Like, I don't think you can do them even, like, every... They're very good about making it that... Like, this guy should not be doing this all that regularly. This should not be just a common occurrence. And they're not. Like, they're special attractions when they use them. (laughs) Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter for the Interim Women's Championship. And this audience, they were here to see MJF win, and they were here to see Jamie Hayter win. And, Mm -hmm. dude, that theme song hits, and, man, we got... We got the uh, uh, Brayden Davies, the, the Poison Rana uh, Jersey Shore crew down there. Shout out Poison Rana, everybody! You will hear all about it on Tuesday. But uh, I really like the logo. They are now known as Poison Rana. Check them out. So big champ for Jamie Hader at the beginning, and she rams Tony Storm into the rail. It was Hader dominating at the beginning, very aggressive, and then there's a headbutt, and Storm just collapses on top of Hader. Uh, Rebel comes down ringside, and then Storm is busted up. It looked like the nose that she was bleeding from. And then there's a belt shot by Rebel, and Baker, uh, sorry, it's uh, Hater with a DVD onto her knee for a two count, and Rebel gets called out and ejected by the referee, so she's sent to the back. From there, Hater, uh, <laughs> this was a great spot. So Hater is like retreating from Storm into the rope. In perfect position for a hip attack, but she's able to see Storm coming, so she moves out of the way. So Storm does the hip attack, but misses and flies to the floor. It was just like a natural movement that was this great elaborate sequence that played into like the hip attack. And from there, Britt Baker comes down and she attacks, leads to a pile driver by Hater for a two count, then a Storm Zero by Tony. Like they're both doing Storm Zeros to the other, kicking out of them. We're into the near falls, audiences reacting, and then Britt Baker removes the turnbuckle padding. And you're thinking, she's gonna cost Jamie Hater and have a plausible, like she was trying to help, but it's mm-hmm. so Hater is run into the buckle, but then ends up doing a reversal, sending Storm into the exposed buckle and lands the ripcord clothesline and pins Tony Storm. I thought the twists and turns at the end were, like, really compelling. Mm. And, like, you... Like, I legitimately... I didn't know which way they were going to go. Like, they are... They built in a ton of great false finishes and right up until the end... Until the ripcord was hit. And then it was like, okay, this is the... uh, This is the coup de grace at the end. Yeah, I, I certainly couldn't predict this one and i predicted it wrong like i thought they were going to continue with hater and baker without the championship and i thought you know they'd keep the belt on storm a bit longer for um thunder rosa but they struck um while this in maybe one of the best crowds that i think jamie hater has had and maybe they should be kind of thankful for it because i questioned whether or not that time had passed you know i questioned whether or not they had missed their peak um not tonight you know newark was like 
almost 100% in. Very, very strong from these two. And I'll I'll say, I was really impressed with Jamie Hayter at the press conference. She should be doing more talking. Like, she is very personable. And I'm listening to her. It's like, I've never heard her talk this much at length. She needs to be talking more. Agreed, agreed. Like, and I don't like necessarily, they have something with her. Well, I don't necessarily even know if it should be if it should be like wrestling promos. Like she kind of like she sounds very real in that. Like when she's speaking, you don't get the sense she's performing. Like you get the sense she's just actually kind of speaking as herself from the heart. Um, and that's kind of refreshing. She kind of almost like gives the vibe that like she doesn't care, but it's like she doesn't care because she's. She, the question was, were you like, um. Like, how did you feel when you won the championship? You know, like, did you... And she said, like, she thought she would cry, but she didn't. She she just, you know, she just... I like... Of all the wrestlers it. they brought out, I, I found her to be the most yeah. interesting. I got the sense, like, she, she was saying that because, like, she's that confident. Like, she she knows she should be champion. So, by the time she has it, it's it just feels natural. Yeah. And you've got a lot of great stuff here with, you know, Brit. The, 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 the like, Brit stuff was story. interesting. Like, you kind of made, you probably noticed more detail in, in the end of the match that I didn't. You know, like, I'm very curious, especially watching on TV, if there were, like, any sort of close-ups in Britt Baker's, like, facial reactions to indicate yeah. whether where her allegiances truly lie. Yeah. There's a lot of this I want to rewatch. And we failed to mention off the top, Jim Ross was back on the pay-per-view. Was he on the whole time? I believe so, yeah. Oh, cool. So he was out there with uh, Taz and Excalibur for what appeared to be the whole show. Yeah. The acclaimed against Swerve in Our Glory, second from the top for the tag titles, and they got about 20 minutes, and Max Caster came out, said they're going to drop them like Adidas dropped Kanye. Uh, what else do we have here? You're going to have to fact check them like a Trump speech, and you're going to die like Twitter. And then uh, just kept going on. Swerve looks like Randall from Monsters, Inc. I mean, this... This was a Max Caster pay-per-view rap. I mean, he worked extra extra hard on this one. He had more yeah, lines two than verses, usual. Yeah. And uh, no Billy Gunn out, which I thought was smart. It's like you get the initial pop, the rap pop, and then you get the mid-match pop when Billy Gunn comes out. Like, they stagger yeah. them. They kind of did it with Danhausen, you know, yeah. but they teased her, her, him as a mystery. Um, it, it worked, you know, like he got one of the biggest reactions all night. So Bowen's, uh, he's got the shoulder taped up, which, I mean, he was... Um, uh, you know, they did do the, the attack on, on Wednesday and then was, you know, he was posting photos like in a, in a sling and stuff. But, um, you know, I wonder if he did something to it because the shoulder was not a big focus of the match. It's not like that was, we, we thought after Wednesday that, okay, that's the body part that will, you know, it worked really well with Bowen's knee and now you've got another injured body part. Yeah. But to me, it wasn't as much focused on. So, um, Caster hit a high cross, taking Lee off the apron through a, a panel on the floor. Then Swerve delivers three consecutive Swerve kicks to Bowens, and then a fourth one, but only gets a two count on him. He recovers, lays him out, and then a mic drop from Max. Lee is making the save. And then at this point, these poor four guys, um, there's this argument going on in the crowd. It didn't escalate into a fight, but there's like this screaming going on. A dude gets ejected as the crowd's chanting asshole. Then he's removed. Everyone cheers. And it was like a good three, four minutes that the crowd was, no one was paying attention to this match and they had to just keep going. And I just felt bad for them that this, um, you know, it is things out of your control. It was rather unfortunate, you know, because again, this was like, it felt like a long time that this crowd was like, their attention was gone from the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Really unfortunate. But I mean, these sort of things happen at live settings. I mean, uh, we, we saw like a lot of it very clearly and it, 
you couldn't tell who was the right, like who was in, in the right and who was in the wrong, obviously, because obviously, we didn't see the right thing. But everybody wanted one particular person ejected. Yeah, when he was gone, it was a like I don't know yeah. what precipitated it, but they all cheered when he was finally removed. And then they were almost like, and then like they were threatening to eject the other person as well. That was also in the argument, and everybody was like, "Don't eject him! Don't eject him!" Like it became this whole thing. And then when they didn't eject him, everybody was celebrating that he that that guy wasn't ejected. So it, it definitely took away from the match, unfortunately. Yeah, it was uh, like if you if you heard all that chanting during the match, like that was what was going on. But then, you know, the key parts of the match, Swerve pulls out the pliers and he's going to take some fingers off. When Billy Gunn runs down to stop him and with this Keith Lee, I mean, he has an epiphany. He sees this dude. He's like, this guy was going to chop his fingers off. And Swerve is arguing with Keith Lee in the ring over a fallen Bowens. He slaps Keith. Keith helps Bowens up and he walks out on Swerve and he is left alone. There's some uh, kickouts, but then this looked to be a new finisher that the acclaimed uh, introduced yeah. and beat Swerve with. And that looks to be the official demise of Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, which mm. These two have elevated one another through this tag yeah. team. I really enjoyed their run. All and four have elevated each all other. All four, exactly. All five, we should say. Yeah. it's yeah. Th- That's what I kind of wanted to get to with like the acclaimed. Like where yeah. they were going into that all-out match. Like that was not a big match going mm-hmm. in. And it was one of the – outside of the press conference stuff. Like one of the most talked about things of that pay-per-view. Yeah. And where they are now in these two months. It's been a transformative two months for them. I put this as number two. I don't think, like, that magic of All Out was very tough to replicate, but this was ahead of the Queens match for me. I don't remember the Queens match that well, but I remember, like, I certainly was not as distracted. Max Caster recapped it in the press conference that the first match, the fans took it over the top. The second match was a whirlwind, and the third match was all about us. It was like, the second one was just like, let's just... It was like, it was a match, but it was like, it was nowhere near the I, first. I, I don't remember it, but I, I don't necessarily, like, I mean, I was not distracted by a fight in the crowd during the second match. So my my feel, my feel memory or my feeling about that one probably was, was a bit better. Um, I was I was distracted for a good chunk of it, so maybe I don't even feel right to, you know, talk about my thoughts. Uh, but the acclaimed, yeah, they retained the titles and you would think now it's like something with FTR, I would think. Like, yes. you've got FTR, like to me, FTR and the gun club, that... Even for ROH, does not feel like a pay-per-view match. FTR and the Gun Club, no, I don't... But I also don't see this happening at Final Battle either. Like, maybe Um, this is TV or something. Um, I don't think this is Final Battle either. Like, because what do you do with two champions? Yeah, I know. This doesn't really work. Um, I think you... I I see it for, like, a big, you know, dynamite. Maybe winter is coming. You know, like, just, I I don't know, some sort of... That's a possibility. Um, I am... Like, you know, I, I, I felt... Like the acclaim might not be like ready, you know, to continue this run um, as like these leaders of this um, division. Like at least not not as capable as maybe like the types of workers that Swerve and Keith Lee are. But for maybe the like what they aren't, and they're very good wrestlers uh, by this point. But for what they aren't, like you know, in terms of um, Keith Lee or Swerve, they make up for in just how incredibly over and how much of a connection they have with this audience, and that's understandably. Um, smart to continue throughout this whole thing, and then you move Swerve and, and uh, Lee onto singles programs, and and this, this could be a very big run for Swerve. I think oh, he's, he's he's poised to have a really great run. He's been great as a heel. Like his look when he walks out, it's just like but, he's but, really got it all dialed in right but now. But it's like the body movement and the posturing yep, as yep. he's like going, you know, and as he's like doing against sadistic offense, like you know, targeting your limb. Um, he's really figured something out, and this is a company right now that needs great single stars, and both of them are. Are, um, you know, are, are catapulted into the divisions right now. 
And that takes us to the main event around 11.30 p.m. John Moxley and MJF. But you know what? Didn't matter. This crowd was uh, really into this. And they had their their hometown favorite, Newark's own MJF. Uh, Close enough. By yeah. way of Plainsview, New York. Uh, an hour and some. So, I mean, this was all laid out of MJF working as the babyface and Moxley knowing I'm going to be the... Like, dude, he's given the middle finger to the camera backstage as he's walking out with Regal. And then when the crowd turned on him, he just... I I don't even want to say ran with it. It's like, I think they all went in knowing what this reaction was going to be. And they structured the match like that. Like, these were Moxley heel spots and MJF babyface spots. At times, like, almost over the top. Like... Like, just stuff that was just so over the top The whole MJF. feud was built with MJF, you know, being a babyface. And it wasn't like Moxley was doing anything heelish in the build-up to it. But the only question while we got to the night was whether or not the crowd took to the MJF babyface turn. And boy, did they. Like, I wonder if he didn't do any of the babyface stuff, if they would have still been pro-MJF. Probably they would have. Um, they would have cheered MJF even if it was a whole heel. But because they did all the babyface stuff... It took it over the top even more. And I know you can make the argument that, you know, that big, like you typically, you look at companies when they break through, it's like off the back of like a big baby face, just cutting through and reaching a new audience. And MJF could certainly be that guy. So you like, you can look at that of, you know, you might've had like this thing that was ready to explode. I also look at it that this guy will get that run Mm -hmm. at the, at the same time, but um, it's something, you know, you can certainly debate. But um, the match starts off. MJF is just has this audience in the palm of his hand. He's in the Fargo strut. Uh, just <laughs> he did every babyface cliche. You he got probably... it all out of his system, knowing where things were going after. So, I almost felt it was like <laughs> it was. He was making fun of us. He was. Like, he was like, making fun of like you idiots. I'm gonna pull out every cheesy like '80s, you know, babyface. Like, I'm gonna do dusty punches. And you're, you're gonna go crazy. You know, I'm going to like, um, I don't, I don't, what, what else did he do? Ten, ten, like the 10 smashes in the corner, like to an opponent's head and you guys are going to fall for it. Like he's just kind of laughing. I mean, for him, it's, it's like perfect. To, to work just a super baby face match. Yeah. Like it was yeah. probably a lot of fun just to change it up like that. Like so heavily like this after, you know, the buildup. So Moxley does a first MJF delivers a tombstone on the edge of the apron. And then later Moxley does a tombstone off the apron through a table on the floor. So the tombstone on the apron uh, hurt his knee, right? MJF's knee, I believe. And that's That's where Moxley starts to target the knee for the rest of the match. Yeah. So after this tombstone, another kind of like babyface, you know, cliche, like uh, babyface gets an injured body part and Mox, uh, uh, unusual, but not unusual. He targets the injured body part. And when he hits that tombstone, he rolls into the ring, willing to take the count out victory. And the crowd is just latching onto it. It's like, Dude, this was all structured, like, with yeah. this in mind. Like, and they knew what for, they were doing. for MJF to do the count-out tease to come back in. Everything. Yes. Everything to just milk it. So, MJF makes it in. He's hit with the paradigm shift. And then the, the knee is attacked. Figure four by Moxley. And it's, I'm just constantly... MJF is just working so hard here as the baby face. And then there's a paradigm shift off the turnbuckle. MJF holds on to the rope to break the count. And then MJF... Pulls Bryce Rensburg in front as a shield. So he goes down. William Regal walks down to the ringside area. And MJF has the dynamite ring when Paul Turner runs down. And Moxley applies a choke. They run into Turner. So he's out. And Moxley gets the bulldog choke applied. And MJF taps out. And this is sort of just, 
you know, telegraphing, like, where they, this is like an out for Moxley to revisit this down the road. But then Regal slips the knucks into MJF. He takes the brass knucks, clocks Moxley. He climbs on top. The referee comes to one, two, three. MJF wins the AEW championship as Regal walks off. And dude, Moxley just lay there for like the pay-per-view goes off the air. He is out cold in the middle of this ring. And that concluded the show. Yes, yes, it did. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to bring up the image of him as, as a champion. But uh, anyway, that's yeah. Um, and he cemented his heel turn at the press conference. Yeah. So the press conference was absolutely required viewing for everybody, and not for you know um, any sort of uh, controversial reason. But MJF did come out, and he basically cut a full-on heel promo, saying, "I duped you guys with." Everything I did over the past uh, month, you guys actually thought I was putting over this guy here and pointing at Tony Khan and um, went back to his being his full heel self. Um, I thought the match was a wonderful kind of study of, you know, what makes a baby face in a pr- traditional pro wrestling match. And- two, two pros. Like, honestly, like I thought this was really laid out. It was a really fun match. The, the way it was laid out with the crowd. It was cool to watch Moxley work a different style. Um, yeah. But but in particular, I, I felt like honestly, if it by at points started to feel very over the top with MJF doing so many babyface things that I feel like it's almost it almost provides like a beginner a textbook on some great babyface tools for them to use because I can't say it was ineffective. I think there was a good section of the audience that was you know willing to buy that this was a full on MJF babyface turn that we had just seen or we were you know going to see cemented. It was a great tool of taking something the audience wanted. And yeah. giving that to them, like playing off of that desire with this kind of a delivery at the yeah. end. Like yeah. it was, it was really well thought out. And, you know, we, we threw out this idea, like plenty of people looked at this. I thought it was executed really well. I thought it was a great turn at the end. You had some intrigue to hear from Regal on Wednesday. Yeah. You did this turn. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the angles at the press conferences. I do feel those things should be separate, but you know, that was your, 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 you, you know, know, in wrestling, though, like I get it's it. going I get to be it. a combination, and and I think like us certainly, and I think the audience is able to tell when you have a person speaking from the heart and when you have a person trying to work a story. You know, and I think with an MJF, we have to understand every time he's in front of a camera, every time he's on a microphone, every time he's on Twitter, there's always going to be the potential of him being in character. Um, and it it made for like a nice little kind of like you know scene at the end. Um. That was almost just a like almost a you know epilogue to to the entire thing. Great match for me from like I think um like a psychology standpoint. Yes, you know like like just cut, again understanding how a guy this smart is able to manipulate a crowd into potentially thinking that he's a babyface, and also on Mox's end how he's able to kind of play with all this like great heel energy that was on his side. Um, the regal turn I thought was teased well. And they delivered. It was not a case where I felt like they were teasing just to kind of swerve you on the pay-per-view. It It's a story that ultimately makes sense, you know? Here's a guy who, like, turned MJF down, motivated him to become his best self, and now MJF... There was no email. The email said, hey, I've got a great idea. No, there has, has to be the email. That has to be at least a minor truth. But um, he finally impressed or, uh, Regal. He finally impressed the guy that he he couldn't, and I I'm I'm waiting to hear the William Regal promo, you know, I'm, yeah. to to hear his reasoning for for doing this. That that should be the start of Dynamite, I think, is those two yeah. coming out, and those two could be your your great like 
Bockwinkle Heenan combo for it's some almost time. too much, isn't it? Like you know, like it's okay, it's okay. I yeah. I think you could have a lot of a uh, a lot a lot of fun with so this stuff. So nothing from the firm. So that was all you know his way of I guess breaking up with the firm. But was it also meant to be misdirection in any way? Like ah, uh, I don't know. The firm to me has not been um, a success. Yeah, I just feel like they feel very factory. Um, yeah, they certainly do without MJF. It's just um, I want a clean break from the firm. I just don't think he works with that group. Um, and well, and it just to me is too much of just, you know, I let them beat the shit out of me, and then I beat the shit out of them, and it was all a ploy. It's like I'm I'm no, tapped it was out. clearly not a ploy, right? Yeah, it's like I I don't know to just say it was all a plan. It, no, I don't think it was. Like I think he legitimately broke up with them, right? Because they had no involvement. That's what in I'm that. saying. I think I think it should be. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it also makes you wonder, like, when did plans change? Because I have to imagine when NJF was, you know, introduced with the firm, that they weren't just going to break them. I'm off. sure they had much bigger plans for them, but I don't know. I um, huh. also at the end of this, I mean, this would be a natural. Like, I think Moxley should probably go away for some time. He gets his vacation. He gets yeah. his his fishing vacation at this point. Um, I think it was after the pay-per-view ended. Like, he's laid out. The other BCC members came out to check on him. They all hugged. And then we got the thank you, Mo- after they booed him for the whole match. Thank you, Moxley. And hey, then they, man. It's part of the show. Like, they know. The audience is on the show. It's and then they played the Happy show. Trails at the end. So I thought that was like a tip-off. Oh, wow. Like, of, like, Moxley should go away. Yeah. And it's this, like, cloud of, like, how will he respond? Because yep. you know he will. Yep. And he's off plotting. To come back, come back in January. Like that's give them a break. And how are the Blackpool Combat Club going to respond to William Regal no longer being a, a part of the stable? Yeah, you could have him in disarray. It's like you know, yeah, you had Danielson and Claudio come to blows, and then Yuta's trying to like get back on track. Is the group still? I mean, you could existence? you could just you could tell a story, and then Moxley coming back and like reunite the group. Yeah, but I mean, they're named after his birthplace. You know, or did they change the name? Maybe they'll rebrand. Maybe they'll be the Aberdeen Combat Club. <laughs> Doesn't sound nearly as cool. The uh, Swiss, the Swiss, the Swiss Beats. Yeah, yeah I don't. Uh, the Swiss Beats. Yeah. Okay. Be taken. That was full gear. A great show. Excellent show. I mean, you really? got the, like the main event was tremendous. I really enjoyed Jamie Hader and Tony Storm, and then match of the night was the trios match, closely followed by the four way. You had the cage match that was excellent. That was my number three. And then Kingston Hockey. Like, this was a total thumbs-up show. I thought Huge it was a really, up. really great show. Um, the fact that it's 3 a.m., John, and I am I have as much energy as I do. You know, like, after doing our live show this afternoon, after, like, a whole day of, of like, wrestling and... Uh, my last meal was at 10.30 in the morning, whenever we terrible. went for breakfast. It's Please really bad. Please eat those bag of chips right now as we go through feedback. Wrong thing to offer me. Uh, well, Are you're, you new? You're doing better than uh, Jungle Boy, because... Uh, he had a waffle or so. He had like a pancake while when he, that he was eating. Is that what he was eating? Yeah, I don't know. He they got a banned food from the press conferences for <laughs> AEW. Okay, no more food. Are there any notes from the press conference you wanted to go through? Um, I mean, Tony Khan was asked about uh, a lot of like business questions. I mean, he, he we went over the EVP things. It sounds like it's status quo for them. Yeah. Um, he, he he gave this really long answer. Like Will Washington just asked about like the like the pay per view amount for like they're going to go to eight this year, and then he just got into like this parsing of like. There's AEW pay-per-views, and then one's a joint with New Japan, and then these are Ring of Honor pay-per-views. It's like, yeah, but you're promoting these on your television, and you're hoping your consumer is buying them. And then he got into a thing like, 
you know, the ROH pay-per-views aren't like must buy for everybody. I'm like, why would you ever say that? That any of your pay-per-views are not necessities. Yeah, I don't think he meant to say it. He meant to no, say if you what he sure meant to say was, yeah, I think eight's a good number, which is what he got to at the end, and I was like, that should have probably been the answer. It's like yeah. eight is probably what you're targeting next year, so he meant in I don't think you need to separate like these are AEW. Sh- so the question was was not the question not about like there being too much like or at least something to that effect like I, I, or at least his answer was more like he doesn't want to kind of overwhelm the audience or demand too much of the audience and so there I think eight's fine. So therefore, if you're if you're only choosing to watch AEW, you don't necessarily have to watch ROH in order to keep up. Was was kind of his defense. But know? for the next three weeks on Rampage and Dynamite, we're going to be sold on Final Battle. Like, that will be the focus of the television. We didn't get that much selling of the ROH pay-per-views on Dynamite proper. We didn't have Jericho as champion, though. Okay, yeah, you're right. That This this could be very different. And Joe, yeah. too. Like, Joe yeah. Wardlow and Jericho Claudio. Like, I feel those are—I feel this will be a hard—and FTR, too. Like, I think they're going to try and make this final battle, like, their biggest show ever. And it mm-hmm. probably will be, based on, like, the names that you have involved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those, those are some of the notes that came out of there. Um he uh, Brandon Thurston asked about the buys. He kind of gave like a rough figure of like 140 that it's trending at. So that would be down from 155 last year. But 140, Still like full, full Gear is always the toughest show of the year for them this time of the year. Yeah. Um, I would say 140 for this show is... Without CM Punk. Without CM Punk. Yeah. I think I, I would take 140 as like, not, not a home run, but better, slightly above what I would yeah. have expected. So I, I take that as a good number for this lineup. Personally, for me, like I feel like buzz going in was it, like felt a, a bit low. We are kind of like talking about a bit of a downward trend. But after this show... My opinion of AEW like feels at least for one night completely swung the other way. Like this was a home run show and shows you the power of, of, of like one show, what one show can do. We have fresh directions in every division. MJF is champion now. Jamie Hader is champion in the women's division. The 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 elite are back and and the moment they started wrestling, you found like you realized how much they were missed in terms of star power, in terms terms of presence, in terms of just uh, action. Um and a heel direction for, for William Regal as well, you know, so a lot of fresh directions coming off of this show, which is what these pay-per-views should be. Definitely, for sure. Um, I'm just trying to go through my head because i um just thinking about, like, the, the Tony Khan ones. Uh, you know, Soraya came out and just talked about the match. And she, you asked her a question about the uh, the heel turn. The, the build-up, or, or like, the, uh, like the promos on Wednesday. And, yeah. you know, she pretty much said, like, she watched that promo. It's like, wow, this was quite a babyface promo that you cut. And it was like... You know, she was very complimentary towards Britt Baker, but I like again the the fact it wasn't there in the uh, in like the video, like it just looks like that promo was. You certainly have to question like how it how it fit in with everything, but seemed to come out of it like unscathed and seemed to be in pretty good spirits about yeah. just the fact that she completed the match. Like that that is a big hurdle to to clear. Like you can work out and train all you want, but. To be actually in the ring, like, that's a shock to the system. It's, like, totally. five years of, like, not having in-ring conditioning and shape. And it's, uh, like, she she did not, by any means, embarrass herself. It's no, just, not at all. like, it wasn't one of the standout matches. But for where she was at, like, th- I think, was- think of coming back from five years and you're on this kind of a show versus something else that could have been a lot safer of a show so, in I, terms of I competition. Think about, I think about myself going back to the gym after five weeks off, and I, I can't imagine yeah. what it's like, you know, spending five years off of, like, you know, this this very demanding physical activity. How long was that match? Like, they had, like, 15, like it felt. Around that, yeah. I mean, that's a long time, you know, a, a, a lot of cardio. So um, a lot of kudos to her. My only contention is that I thought the match was actually good enough to warrant, like, a really good match 
except for the story, except mm-hmm. for the connection. You know? um, I'm just it's jogging my memory now. Uh, David Bixenspan asked a really great question. I thought about sort of what is your you're trying to be a media friendly wrestling promotion, mm. like just by having this press conference you're you're holding, yeah. but at the same time you're trying to be you know respectful of like injuries, the investigation. Like how are you balancing that? And to Tony Khan's credit, he was like, it's hard. Like it's mm-hmm. you know it's he's trying to you know, balance this. And I think like on this side of the fence, you're always going to be pushing for transparency and information and he certainly withholds uh, things. But I thought it was a good question to bring up and he wasn't, you know, I thought, you know, Tony Khan has gotten a lot of criticism for things he does not address. I thought at this press conference, I mean, he did not dodge any questions. Like everything that was asked, he, he answered, like it was not, I'm not talking about this. Like everything that was asked, he answered. I thought this was one of be- Tony Khan's better media appearances that that I can recall. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Nick had one, a question about Punk. Colt Cabana. Colt, yes, yeah. Nick Houseman asked him about booking Colt Cabana and and definitively Tony Khan. Can you state that CM Punk? He doubled down. He said CM Punk had nothing to do with it. So I mean, he's Tony Khan is sticking to that statement. I mean, he is not wavering from that. And defended the booking of Cabana of the fact. Well, he was two and zero on the shows. It's like so. So he was he was that in in basically him saying like you know booking Cabana had nothing to do with CM Punk. Was that what he was trying to say? pretty much that it was just like here's he's a great wrestler. He's got the ROH lineage. He was two and zero. He deserves a title. It's like. You know, Nick even said, like, you understand, like, that perception is, like, you Colt, know. Colt himself understands that perception. You look at his face as he walks Well, out. and you had started the elite vignettes. It was like, okay, yeah. it's like we're moving on past the punk chapter. Yeah. And Cabana was a signal. Like, you, we talked that night about that was as much for the locker room as it was uh, yeah. for anyone. Trent like, tweeted it They out. tweeted yeah. it out as much yeah. like Trent Beretta did. And I'm sure others very much felt that, that that was for them as much as anyone. So you can... Certainly back it uh, from all these other situations. I think the question is, like, how much more of Colt Cabana do we see? He hasn't been back since. But, you know, he's... I, I imagine he'll have a role in Final Battle. He should. Yeah, I would think so, too. So, you know, I, I think that was, like, a perfect... Like, everybody had that exact conclusion when Colt Cabana showed up. So, there you have it. Um, um, I think that's about it. Okay. All right. Well, with that, let's go to some feedback here. Uh, first of all... Uh, let's go to a super chat here from Jake from the Windy City. Thank you so much, Jake, for staying up with us late at night on this uh, extra late edition. Oh, um, the next pay-per-view revolution is Sunday, March 5th at the Chase Center in San Francisco. So that's that's that uh, week. Uh, they're doing the Cow Palace uh, two nights and then the Sunday night, which we had assumed when those dates came out. So right. Sunday, March 5th is revolution. West Coast getting a pay-per-view. Yes. Very cool. Where will we be going? Um, I, I don't know about that. Probably not. not we'll see what one. our West Coast trips are like in the uh, <laughs> the first quarter or two uh, of uh, next year. Okay, we uh, we got a piece of feedback here uh, via super chat from Jake from the Windy City who sends five dollars. Thank you for the support, Jake. He says, "Amazing job at the Medium Scrum, John. Great questions and happy fifth anniversary, guys. Thank you guys for all you do uh, over the years." Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought John really hustled and did a great job. Uh, he's been doing a great job all, all weekend. Um, so. That's Are we going for food after this? Uh, I I can join you. I can join you if if anywhere is open at three thirty. It's in the only three thirty a.m. What's know? going on in Newark? Anyone in the chat room from Newark that can hit us up with any food options at this uh, hour? I think at least I saw I saw MJ here. I saw Fire Frank uh, in here. So. I got to see them all today. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was great really seeing everybody all weekend. 
Um, and MJ made a like a he made like he made a spur of the moment decision, changing plans to come visit us. Very uh, very honored. Muggin sends a super chat to say, "Will the fifth anniversary event be on the channel?" Yeah, that's undecided right now. Um, it would probably be uh, something we would save for a Patreon tier. Um, unknown what we're doing with it. I don't even have it right now. That's kind of with a, a real digital, so I have to kind of wait to to get it from them before I put it out. But um, uh, we'll let you guys know. Uh, all right. Do you want to go to form.postwrestling.com, John, for uh, some feedback? Yeah, there? let's start off with uh with Brian in New Jersey, but not in Newark. Thumbs up show for me. A lot to like. Star making win for Jack Perry in a great opener. Outstanding matches with the trios and ROH world title. An unexpected but well-deserved win for Jamie Hayter in the best women's match of the night. The main event ended how I think a lot of people thought it would, but I thought the finish in the match overall were very well. I watched a show on Bleacher Report where for me and perhaps others, the sound went out of sync, which dampened my enjoyment for a while. I also had seen that um, tonight you could order it on YouTube in Canada. Really? Um, on pay-per-view. You so know the price? I imagine it's the same as fight. I, okay. w- I would have thought, but uh, yeah, I curious don't know for why people. They wouldn't do that. I guess like no exclusivity with with fight. Like in that yeah, fight. I guess like UFC offered their pay per views on YouTube for a long time, and then just okay. put them exclusively on Fight Pass, like digitally. But if anyone was in Canada and tried it on YouTube, um, yeah, let us know. Interesting. All right, um, let's go to Wolfman who says, "Good show. Match of the night was Death was Death Triangle retaining the trios titles as they should have." Finally, Phoenix came around to putting that hammer to good use. This match just edged out the ROH 408 as I thought that one was stellar too. Out of the sport for six years, only to enter the new wrestling company and immediately defeat one of their top homegrown stars. No, I'm not talking about Punk here. Hopefully, Soraya does not end up the trouble to the ladies in the same way. Hey, Brian in New Jersey, use fight next time. I have had good experiences so far. I mean, that's really unfair to, to Soraya, I think, for you, for you to suggest there. You know, um, I also don't think... I think... That was the right finish. Like, Saria coming back. Like, really, the only reason why it might not be the right finish is because they did such a poor job of conveying the storyline. But when you look at all the pieces, it's like, you know... Um, I, th- I think it enhances, like, the Jamie Hayter story is that, okay, we both went into this. I'm coming out now. Now I'm the champion, and you lost. Yeah, sure. Like, I think yeah. that fuels the story that much more. It- uh, yeah, I mean, it's also just, it should be a feel-good moment of a person, you know, coming back after five, five six years. Um, so I, I didn't have an issue with it myself. Cody from Maine writes, uh, I know my feelings on this, but is it safe to say AEW has successfully completed the writing of the ship in the aftermath of All Out? I would say tonight was a pretty solid step forward in that yeah. sense. I mean, there's still, like, the lingering status of CM Punk, but I thought tonight was... A major move forward from that. It feels like we're on officially to the next. Do you really feel like it's lingering even at this point? Like he seems rather definitive to me. But you're right. Like he's got the injury. You can't say because they haven't. That I mean, I just it's wrestling, and the fact is that you just until they say he is no longer part of this company. I don't think you can completely discount it. Do I expect it? No, but it's still like. It's still going to be somewhat of a cloud, especially if there is some other part of this story that if there is another chapter somewhere. Yeah. I mean, his contractual status, I I think. Like he's joking about it now on like broadcasts. Yeah. I I think, you know, Tony Khan, it'll take a lot for Tony Khan, I'm sure, to to probably let him go. Um, But like as far as like this dark cloud, like I feel like tonight you are seeing an AEW that is really pushing ahead 
without CM Punk attached to his. Like, this is our team that we're moving forward with. Yeah, and it was a it was a really good show. So in that sense, like to me, they they and they did and they did like it's again, it's not like the home run number. It's not like like if we were sitting here and it was like 190, I'd be like, well, MJF was a big reason for that. It's like it was 140 to me is a very respectable number for this time of the year. It's like we didn't collapse without Punk, but the real it's also is, not at like the higher Punk numbers either, but yeah. that's somewhat and then, expected. And then the next pay-per-view I think will be an, e- an even better tell if we don't get Punk throughout that entire duration exactly where the company is because this one is very much affected, I would say, by everything that preceded. Uh, anything else? No. All right, let's go to... Uh, oh, so, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was actually... Uh, let, let me quickly gloss through this. Uh, we'll see if it's recency bias or not, but my feeling coming out of this show is that we'll rightfully see Full Gear... Named as a lot of people's show of the year, a show that they desperately needed after what was easily been their most tumultuous to date. They still have some things to sort out. ROH's continued presence is at the forefront, but heading into 23 with a new world champion, new locations already booked early in the new year, among other things, I'm not subscribing to a doom and gloom attitude as so many people seemingly have in the past few months. Credit to the crowd as well. Always a challenge staying lively for a lengthy show. Well, listen, um... When you're speaking as a collective um, on a on a mostly via an app that limits you to 140 characters, I don't know if there's a lot of room for nuance, you know. Um, and therefore, if something seems bad, it's going to seem a lot worse. If something seems great, it's probably going to seem a lot better than it actually that, is. That's why you do a 90 minute podcast starting at uh, two in the morning. Uh, oh man, we're almost at two hours. Jeez. All right, Steve grows weed. Says, <laughs> great show overall. Jake coming out as Chitara was awesome. Crazy to see how negative the crowd was to the Mox. He seemed to love it, though. Huge main event, and the finish was perfect. Let the MJF era begin. I think I saw WH at a crowd shot, too. Yeah. Probably did. Yeah, I saw someone fall asleep, actually, in the crowd. I did, too. Bates from St. John. I had a lot of fun with this show. Kingston and Akiyama was a highlight before the pay-per-view even started. The emotion on Kingston's face was amazing. I love Death Triangle and the Elite. I was a little surprised they made this match retroactively part of a best of seven. Match of the night was Hater Storm. Great roller coaster, and they went the right way with the finish. A lot of people on the show heroically deciding whether or not to use weapons, so I like that they subverted it in the main. Match could have hit a fuller gear, 7.5 out of 10. And that is our final piece of feedback. All right. Thank you guys so much for staying up late with us and uh, uh, especially sending all the love to us for our fifth anniversary. You know, um, not just the people that attended, of course, today, but all the people online who could make it, uh, who had to send their well wishes. Obviously, everybody who sent the voice message to us, uh, the podcast, the co- collecting all of the voice messages. John actually just put up on our free feed on the podcast feed. So check that out. Shout out Jay from Colorado. Times two. Yeah, yeah. of course. So can't, good you have to can't hear get him enough. Yeah, uh, thanks to everyone that sent it in. Uh, this weekend was great. It was uh, very cool to meet so many of you, hear from many of you people, and and to be here on like it was a lot of fun to be back on the really? on the road and, and do this. Like, Our first we, time since uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, like it yeah. was. Uh, this was a uh, this is a very like enjoyable weekend, like work wise to meet yeah. all the people. I I've had a great time, really really great time. So um, that's it from us from Newark. Um, we got a flight to catch soon. Um, that's it. Bye. Later. Good night. That's that's the sign off now. That's it. That's all you're getting at. I'm done, man. At 3:30 a.m. Done. What's open? Okay. See you guys. Bye bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then. 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.